Welcome to New Street X, a podcast where we talk to the most interesting people in the collectible space across sneakers, sports, trading cards, NFTs, fashion, art, and more. Today, we have Adrian Pang, head of strategy at MoonPay and former member of the team at Dapper Labs. Adrian has been deep in crypto, fintech, and NFTs for a long time, and also has his own NFT podcast called Open Worlds. We talked about Adrian's journey as a collector, his favorite NFT projects, how NBA Top Shot will will evolve, Formula One, video game collectibles, artist collabs, trading cards, and much more. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to uh, to dive into this. So to give some context, to take it right back, I'm I'm someone that you would call a third cultured uh, child. Love it. Where my parents were immigrants from Hong Kong, they came here in the, in the 70s whilst uh, Hong Kong was under the UK rule. So growing up, there was a fusion of East and West. Although there's a fusion, there's more like confusion as well. So there was there's a mix of culture from growing up in, in the UK, but then also a lot of kind of the culture from my parents too. So I was bilingual, but growing up around that allowed me to be super curious around different cultures, different places. And as part of that whole journey, that actually exposed me to start collecting things. Yeah, very early on, it was just collecting things like coins, tickets, brochures. But yeah, it's just really kind of like collecting nostalgic uh, items or pieces of uh, history, right, as you go on. That was kind of where it started. Growing up into more of the digital age, being able to really kind of uh, take that experience into, the, I guess, what we were called NFTs and digital collectibles today. But I'm sure we'll dive into that a bit more. That's kind of where uh, it started. Yeah, no, very excited to hear about childhood Adrian and what the things he the things he collected. I know you've you've, you've told me about about some of these things. Looking forward to talking about them in more detail. Now, to get into maybe let's say your professional background and what you've done so far. I mean, clearly, you've been really interested in. NFTs blockchain for several years now. How did that come about when you started working into the space? Yeah, so for the most of my professional career, I would say I've been in working and building in high growth startups. I've been pretty fortunate, I would say, in that respect. So I've been exposed to lots of different experiences. So yeah, since mostly around 2015, I've been building in fintech. I've worked in different places such as China, Hong Kong, and also in Africa as well, so Lagos, Tel Aviv. So that was a really kind of good intro actually from into fintech, which actually led me on to crypto and also blockchain. I think that was my gateway, right? And I think that really helped me to understand the basics and fundamentals of the financial system, which is not really clear actually when you're growing up of what happens in the background, right? When you move money from point A to point B, there's a lot of things that go on in the backgrounds. And what I ended up realizing was how old this whole system was and actually how this new technology was basically removing a lot of the inefficiencies and, and I guess, yeah, the, the middlemen between those points. So that was fascinating for me because it allowed me to think about actually what the concept of money was and also the concept of ownership. And obviously as a collector, I've been very familiar with collect, um, the idea of ownership. So. I think the idea of NFTs was pretty natural for me. I think it's also pretty natural for a lot of people growing up today as well, owning digital items and collecting them. So I think my yeah my first intro was working in fintech in a startup called Oinki, which is to help people to save money. 
we quickly realized actually that business was was pretty hard to to be profitable and then that's our first entry into into crypto and yeah we've developed some really interesting products into the space mobile exchanges mobile wallets and marketplaces and all of those experiences led us today to yeah for me to work in with some great names such as dapper labs who are really innovating and driving forward the idea of nfts and the possibilities and then also moonpay which is also helping many millions of people to to buy and sell cryptocurrencies really easily obviously now nfts too yeah no i'd love to dive in a little bit deeper into how you got involved with dapper labs and moonpay i mean these are two of the most interesting crypto nft companies in the world right now like how did that come about how did you find yourself in that situation starting with moonpay actually that that was actually a a result of many different experiments and working with the founder of the first fintech I joined in 2015, which is called Oinkey, the smart piggy bank. And the founder there quickly realized actually the the potential and the opportunity in the crypto space was, was huge, right? Because what we realized almost five, six years ago now that the accessibility and the ease of use and access to the space, so into crypto, it's pretty difficult, right? I think the first time you had to, I don't know, totally. to interact with a marketplace, there's multiple steps and multiple kind of like hurdles to get just to to actually just getting started, right? And I think that's when the, the light bulb moment hit was we were building in fintech, but then we could apply a lot of those fundamentals and those ideas there into crypto and really just allow businesses to innovate and also just to focus on the user experience side whilst we handle a lot of the um, the payment infrastructure, making it super easy for people all around the world to be able to just access and, and buy these uh, these assets, right? So yeah, MoonPay was a result of those experiments. And during that journey, I was pretty active in building, organizing conferences and hackathons in the fintech and blockchain space. And really what I learned from that was around community projects. And also I got to meet some incredible people. My first actual experience with Dapper Labs was with their first project. So they launched CryptoKitties um, just around 2017. Just before this was when I started building in, in the space and getting and working in, in, in crypto. My first NFT was actually from CryptoKitties. So you, you, you owned like one of the very first CryptoKitties because you were re- involved in like building, you were tied to the CryptoKitties project at the time and part of like the team? No, so I wasn't part of the team at the time. I was just very curious, right? And I think I wasn't the very first. I, I purchased my first CryptoKitty a few months uh, after they launched. Yeah, wasn't really sure like what it was. It just reminded me, it gave me kind of um, memories of Tamagotchi, Tamagotchi kittens on Classic, the blockchain. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of got that idea. But then obviously I realized in the background, there's all this amazing technology and all these, this gamification and, and game design behind it all, which is incredible because this was all built on smart contracts. It was all verified, right, on the Ethereum blockchain at the time. Fast forward a few years later, a good friend of mine actually introduced me to the team. And he was, I think, the first uh, yeah community uh, manager in Europe for CryptoKitties. He was a big advocate for the project and the team. And yeah, he had basically introduced me to um, people at Dapper Labs and they were working on a few different iterations from CryptoKitties. So they had a few experiments such as Cheese Wizards, which is another kind of game that they designed based on smart contracts. But also they were in the background working on this new and up and coming game called NBA Top Shot. The interesting thing for me was actually NBA Top Shot wasn't built on the Ethereum blockchain. It was actually going to be built on this new blockchain they were developing called Flow. Flow was the result of many years of trying to develop consumer kind of applications and it just wasn't working for them. It wasn't progressing to the where they they needed and it just didn't really serve 
the purposes that they um, were looking for. Ultimately, when you have a partner like at the MBA, you need to make sure the experiences that you build are seamless and is really going to serve its purpose. So yeah, it's, so just to just to interrupt there, like the MBA working with Dapper Labs is a really really big deal. That's like the first super involved major sports league. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of these uh, I like to think about a lot of these experiences or these kind of new innovations are a result of lots of experiments. And I think the CryptoKitties was one example of what you, what is possible, right, with, with NFTs and also um, uh, digital collectibles. But without CryptoKitties, I think the conversation with the NBA wouldn't have happened. So the NBA, I think the, the rationale behind Dapper Labs partnering with the NBA was how can they get millions and millions of new users into crypto and into kind of NFTs? I think the best kind of like answer to that is like you, you go where the where there are millions and millions of fans that are already collecting millions and millions of dollars of, of collectibles or memorabilia, right? And I think you go to one of the, the fastest growing sports leagues in, in the world and that's kind of the, the, the rationale there. You obviously probably see is like they're they're looking at doing that with the UFC and, and so forth. And it doesn't stop at sports. I think sports is just where, where they landed. There's obviously this whole kind of like a space around entertainment, gaming uh esports as well so i think you'll start to see some of those innovations start to come out um but yeah i think the just to take it back a step is the nba partnered with dapper labs to develop this game called nba top shot which is basically digital collectibles and moments in time video clips of live game clips there are certain kind of like different uh, characteristics uh, and rarity and then and so it sounds like you worked with them and then after working with the Dapper Labs team. Now you're focused on uh, MoonPay, and that's that's where you're at right now. Yeah, so I was really excited about their mission around Flow. Really kind of helped the team to think about community uh, and engaging ecosystems. So it's like grassroots partners. What is Flow's potential? Why would you build on Flow? And just attracting different kind of brands and yeah builders into the space. And that was the main focus for a while. And yeah, very close with the team still today. And uh, very excited. I think it's a very early journey for them. Yeah, I think NBA Top Shot was one very kind of early hit, and there's a lot to, to, to go. And we can dive into more around why I'm so excited about NBA Top Shot and Flow as well. But it's more, yeah, you're starting to see some of the possibilities around utility of these NFTs uh, associated with also the, the, I guess, key events in, in the actual league, in the drafts. The way I think about it is like the future of fan experience and fan engagement. And yeah, I think we're just really starting to see the possibility today. And it's the same with Flow. I think what you're seeing in the first few months of, of MBA Top, Top Shop launching, there's so much more possibilities like, and, and things that people are building on, on Flow, which is a pretty exciting to, a space to, to be in. Yeah, no, we are very, very excited here at New Street about MBA Top Shot and any kind of mashup between the sports, digital collectibles world. And honestly, hats off to Dapper Labs for really helping Dapper Labs and the NBA for really paving the way for what I think is going to become a lot more common. And we're already starting to see that with a number of other sports leagues doing things like, you know, you see fan tokens in uh, soccer leagues in Europe, you see the UFC, you see like blockchain trading cars. There's like a lot of different things that are being uh, experimented with right now. And it's like how you mentioned how CryptoKitties was kind of a proof of concept for NBA Top Shot from a Dapper Labs perspective, I think what we're going to see is that NBA Top Shot is like a proof of concept for every single sports league in the world, pretty much creating their own version of that someday. Yeah, absolutely. You're starting to see that today already, but yeah, you'll start to see a real uplift in what these kind of experiences look like. I think 
will start to turn away from just drops to being also more, I guess, NFTs and these digital kind of items and collectibles to be start to be more integrated in, I guess, the consumer experience uh, in general. I definitely think we could talk a lot about how we predict the future of NFTs and sports will be, but maybe for now we could take a step back and look to the past to young Adrian. I, I know we talked about a few different things before this that you were really into when you were younger, things like Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, football cards, video games. And then as time went on, you know, I know you were collecting NFTs and things like art from some of your favorite artists, so many things I'm sure like we could talk about, but maybe we could start off with some of your earliest memories. Like when you were younger, what kind of things did you collect? What are some stories behind how you got into those things? Yeah, for sure. So I touched on it a little bit earlier is I guess my first kind of experience or entry into kind of collecting was around kind of the stamps. So things like penny blacks, coins, right? Coins from all around the world. And that was the kind of the first entry there. But at school, I think I wasn't really the, the football or the Pokemon obsessed kind of person, but it was just the thing to do. It was like the, it was the relevant and the, the popular thing to do at the time, right? So if you, you name it, I think I was involved, right? So Yu-Gi-Oh, it's like Pokemon and football. I probably still have some Pokemon actually lying around, which might be worth or might not be worth anything. And yeah, and I think Yu-Gi-Oh, I remember this, is, and I think it was just, uh, at the time, it was just everyone was doing that. And I think it was it was the culture for, for I guess, y- young me. And, and I think another kind of entry point was around kind of games. And I was really kind of into collecting games and, and consoles, right? So things on Game Boys, PlayStation 1, like PS2, um, Nintendo 64, PSPs, and I probably spent hundreds as a as a as a kid, right, on, on these games, and a lot of those experiences then actually resonate today, and we can touch on that and how, which is interesting. Uh, some of the artists that we actually collect from today were probably developing and designing some of these games we were playing on when we were younger, for example. But yeah, I think an, it was an amalgamation of collectible items, so cards, football cards. I think they were by Merlin at the time. You get these cards or stickers. <clears throat> which you would put in, I guess you'd have a kind of a brochure, right? And there'll be challenges to kind of really complete the set. Um, really similar to things you'd see today. It's just around different teams, different players, different characteristics. Some are super rare, some are not. So obviously you'd have to pay a higher price or find and do a trade, right? For some of the more kind of like popular soccer players or football players at the time. Yeah, with Pokemon, it's kind of the same. I have less memories around exact Pokemon experiences. I just knew I had quite a few cards. But yeah, not as uh, not as extreme as having the, the full kind of set as some of my friends would have built up over time. Well, I, it's interesting to me how you have this like nostalgia from what these things meant to you in your childhood. Do you still own these things right now and like kind of treasure them as, as memories of your childhood? Are there certain... Yeah, I think for me, I... In terms of items of nostalgia, right, of history and experiences, I think I, I actually hold on to a lot of consoles and, and games. And the reason being was this was uh, partly inspired by my dad, who was really into games and gaming. And a lot of those experiences I had with him playing games. And it's not really a thing today, but you go out and really find those games, you trade the games, right, and then you kind of go home and you, re- you, you play them. So I, I hold on to the consoles themselves. And for that reason as well, I think that was a really kind of key key part of my kind of childhood. Actually, I, I tell you what I do have actually to today is um is the is the stamp collection, the stamp and, and coins collection that I that are actually started by my dad, and these these go back like fifty years, sixty years, uh, even longer in terms of the the types of stamps you'd have in a, I guess in the proper book, Olympic stamps, right? Those kind of like, those different series. That's all in a nice kind of like collection, right? In a, in a folder that has like year by year, collection by collection. Heartwarming, because like what I'm, what I'm hearing is, you know, you mentioned a lot of things that you 
the relationship with your dad. So it, it sounds like that might even be more meaningful to you than the Pokemon cards you collected to keep up with the kids at school. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think that's kind of you. You've um, you really kind of hit the nail there. It's. Uh, I think that's a that's a pretty good observation. I think that's. Uh, I think it's nice to remember the, the Pokemon and the Yu-Gi-Oh and the football cards. I, but I think in terms of meaning, I guess for me, in terms of what these items or these things I've collected over time mean to me, for sure it's the, it's the items which kind of represent experiences or, or times with kind of family um, or experiences being at different places with them, right? For example, the coins or the tickets that I kind of collected at the time. But I will touch on why I had to stop doing a lot of this because obviously being a digital nomad, entrepreneur or like uh, as a traveler I think it's I guess I'm conflicted sometimes right to stay minimal (laughs) but also to continue collecting moments in time you're seeing the same themes happen with um, the baseball cards right and um, that's just kind of happening across the board I think these comes in waves as well but I think it's uh, really interesting to see kind of the crossovers of that with kind of the digital side of these collectibles as well so the crypto punks right and even the the ME top shop moments Oh, exactly. I mean, like one very easy way to think about NBA Top Shot is just like a digital trading card, right? What would a modern trading card be? Like a modern version of a basketball card, it wouldn't just be static, like just like a piece of cardboard with like LeBron's face on it, but it would be dynamic, right? Which is kind of what Top Shot is. Yeah, and I think the reason why it resonates with collectors or I guess um, fans is because they've been doing this already for like many, many years already. The biggest innovation I see actually with what they've done is enabled to pe- people to think about so people brands leagues athletes um, to think about actually what a digital collectible actually is that is actually provides true ownership and i think i think people are still grasping with the idea but i think the people who understand it the most are people who've grown up in the digital age people who've been buying fortnite skins for many many years and spending hundreds of dollars or on like roblox or if you've been collecting physical items already and i think the true innovation really is um, making it so seamless, like a, I guess a normal, as if you're buying something on like an e-commerce website, right? Or off like Amazon and and really hiding the complexities around, um, yeah, the technology behind it. But I think once people realize actually what, what they're actually buying or what they're actually owning, I think that's when you start to see the space grow even more. I think there's obviously this kind of confusion around what do you get as, as a digital collectible? But I think it's also what people value in that depends on the type of person, right? Some some look at it from an um, investment perspective. Some just collect it because they love it. <laughs> and I think that's a lot of people, actually. I mean, to, to be working in like the NFT space is, I think most people are a mixture of those two things. It, it's, it's a real mixture of motivations that drive this industry that we're, we're kind of both working in. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of my learnings and the things I've, I've been involved in in the past is it's been really relevant actually to, to kind of what I'm uh, doing now. And I think that's the same as a lot of my colleagues who have been really into World of Warcraft or these kind of like these kind of digital worlds and these kind of like virtual worlds and these games. And it's just such a, an adjacent space to just switch over to, oh, this is just that, but like even bigger and more kind of cross compatible. And it's just like so natural in terms of the thinking. Clearly from a young age, you've been collecting things. There are a couple of topics that we could get into here, but one is that you're really into a variety of different artists like Daniel Arsham, Murakami, Lauren Sai, Cause, Ronnie Flagg from Kith. Was that something that evolved over time? Like, could you talk about your 
your appreciation for the art world, whether it's street art or just modern art of any type? Yeah, so growing up, actually, I think I took a, a pause on actually collecting items. I'd collect some sneakers here and there. I'd collect a few kind of like memorabilia, signed goods, right, in the F1. I was really into the F1. Uh, I still am, but in terms of collecting. Yeah, can we double down on that? So like you were into F1. Was this when you were younger or when you were older? And, you're, and what, what, what stuff were you collecting from F1? Yes, yeah, so that's an interesting piece to touch on. Is I, I got into F1 also because of my, my dad. We were really oh. into watching it, really into kind of, a, as I grew up, I, st- I started getting to know some of the team members, some of the managers of these teams, and started collecting some of these signed memorabilia. So these are posters, caps. Caps were a big thing, actually, in the F1. And just signed kind of goods and, and kind of like just ornaments, right, from Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel, Mark Webber, Dave Coulthard and a few others and that's just the, that, that's a whole community or ecosystem there right of fans which just love the, it, in sports I think the most prized possessions or the most kind of like is is really getting a sign good right from your favourite driver or favourite drivers and that yeah I think that's part of someone's identity when you're in that so although I was a, I was a big Ferrari supporter I'd get yeah obviously there's keys like drivers that I was really fond of at the time I'm still into the F1, but not so much on collecting these days. I spent some time actually working in the space many, many years ago. So I did an internship for an F2 team called Arden Motorsport, which is basically the junior, te- yeah, it's the junior team at the time. I would say it's pretty lucky actually at the time. I, so I grew up in Oxfordshire. A lot of the motorsport kind of community and teams are actually based around there. So you have Milton Keynes, you have like Endstone in Oxfordshire, and a few obviously in Warwickshire. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't get into F1 because the team the closest team that I wanted to get into was Red Bull Racing. And it would just been really difficult for me to get there because I didn't drive at the time. So the the next best kind of t- company was the junior team of the same principal. So the principal of Red Bull Racing at the time was Christian Horner. And he had a junior team, which he owned and started um, a few years before that called Arden Motorsport which is the, it was a GP2 team. So think of it as the F2 team and the junior team to Red Bull Racing. And I had an amazing experience. It was, uh, it just opened my eyes up in terms of what the motorsport world was, was around, about. And obviously memorabilia, fan items, these are really, really big, right? Cause it's like, it's almost part of the, the team's DNA to make sure you interact with fans. And that's actually one of the, the first things is, is signed goods, caps. You'd almost have like the marketing team, that's its, that's its job, right? To make sure uh, the fans have like some sort of like relation or some kind of interaction with the team. So at that point, actually, I ended up collecting a lot of Red Bull Racing, a lot of uh, kind of odd motorsport kind of items there. And just by being involved in the space and luckily it was timed so well, actually, the week after was the Silverstone uh, Grand Prix. So I was a, they took me up there and I had the full experience and that was really cool. For a time, actually, I, I really wanted to be in the F1. And that was just a really kind of a interesting world, to be honest. To, to see really like how um, obsessed actually some of these fans are. I, what's something like, so for someone that isn't super familiar with the F1 fandom, what's something you think that would surprise them? I think they're quite tribal uh, around certain drivers oh, really? versus the team. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really around a lot of the, the drivers instead of teams. I think you do have team fans, but I think a lot of it is around drivers. For example, you have diehard Lewis Hamilton fans, and I think they would follow him if he was to move teams again, like, I don't know if he was to, yeah. they would follow him versus the team. Um, although there is obviously that partnership and that dynamic between um, the driver and the team. But I think there's there's that kind of like, I guess, camp. And then you do have some of the teams who, I guess, have their own fans. But I think, yeah, a lot of it is around the drivers. I don't have the kind of the, the numbers to back them up, but I think the memorabilia kind of aspect is, is huge. And it's really more 
you see this in kind of like in football as well but I think um, I guess the biggest difference is, yeah I think it's more around the drivers rather than um, the actual teams I, I feel like in football it's, it's more <clears throat> around the teams you have team kind of supporters, right? Versus the just singular players. Obviously, you have fans of those players, but I think people follow the teams. But so, so, what driver tribe were you part of at the time? So I switched, right? I I was definitely a Michael Schumacher fan, like diehard many years. Red was my like the the team, <laughs> I guess. Um, the, the yeah, the kind of color of the team that I um I was supporting. And you like worked for for that the team like the f2 team for a while too so you had even stronger connection yeah so then i switched um in my teens to red bull racing as a team actually as a, a yeah just because of the just the experience and the opportunity they gave me and i i, I just resonated with the team and i i love some of the obviously the the manager um the principal that gave me the opportunity there i, I think today it's more around the drivers so obviously i'm a big Big Verstappen fan, but also Hamilton as well. So I'm, I'm pretty, I, I just like the sport. Um, I'm not really tied to just one specific driver, but it's kind of like how I, how I kind of, I'm into kind of like the, the NBA now as well, which is uh, an interesting story. I want to make sure we talk about some of these like artists that you're a fan of and how you've been collecting things from there. But was that an NBA story you just said? Yeah, so l- let me cover kind of the artist side. So yeah. for a few years, I, I stopped collecting physical items. And I think maybe just around two, three years ago, I started collecting physical items again. So over time, there's obviously artists that I've been really following. I've been a big fan of, I think you mentioned a few already. So Takeshi Murakami is, yeah. is a really relevant one, of course. Lauren Sai, all for different reasons. I just love the craft. I love their story and the narrative, which is the same reason why I love certain NFTs that have been launched by some of these artists and I started collecting items again was around three years ago and and actually got more into it last year or two yeah the last two years because I wanted to get more in the mind of what and I guess a a serious or a long time baseball card collector or just a card collector right or just any collector get into the mindset of that because that was when I started getting really deep into NFTs whilst I was with Dapper Labs and Flow. So this was just the, at the peak of when I was starting to build my collection for NBA Topshop. So Tops have this uh, amazing series called um, the, the 2020 Project, and they do this every year. They have 20 iconic cards from the past, so these players, and they bring on 20 I- iconic artists of our current time, right? And my in actually on that was I was following this, um, I've known, like I've been following this kind of, um, this artist, uh, an entrepreneur called Ben Baller for a yes. while and he has a he has a long history right in music and and entertainment and uh and design and and jewelry and yes and so forth and i had heard he was obviously getting on board as an artist and that's when i got really kind of tuned in ended up basically collected the first card and which was the Ichiro and that was actually one of the most iconic ones in the series just so because wait, it was the first so this card was it was it was designed by Ben Baller or it had Ben Baller's like he collabed with him or he was on it it was like a ben baller card yeah so ben baller was one of the artists so there's 20 artists and there's 20 oh, iconic okay. cards got it, got it. every card has 20 artists that create the um i guess their version uh, their edition and these would be basically sold in time limited kind of um a period over like a, i think it's like two to three days and after that that's it it will never get sold again i had basically t- taken a punt <laughs> i I'm not into baseball at all. It's not really close to my culture. It's not really, I've not really been into kind of watching it. I know it's massive sport in, in the US, but what I had known is there were some amazing artists involved in this kind of series. And I had seen one or two names, looked at, so started doing some of my research, but I ended up buying the Ichiro cards. So these kind of like have different editions, right? So you have kind of artist proofs, which are, I think it's a couple hundred dollars. 
And then, but then you have these kind of like, um, I guess the normal cards, which are like, I think $30, $40 a card. Um, and then you can buy like a pack of five, right, for like $100, $120. I had taken basically um, a punt, a baller and a churro card, and that actually turned out to be a really good investment over time because it wasn't really popular to collect these cards at the time or as popular as it got on because it basically gained a lot of traction. All these amazing artists were doing these um, these spin-off cards um, for this um, limited edition series. And anyway, the, the, what ended up happening was it gained a lot of traction and the Achira card, which was originally a $30, $40 card, ended up being like a three, four thousand, five thousand dollar card when it was like in the secondary market, which blew my mind. I was, I thought, wow. And obviously the secondary market for the, these cards is, is mostly, it's 90% is really around is eBay. You occasionally might get some stuff on like StockX, but anyway, that blew my mind. I ended up kind of collecting the whole series and getting some kind of signed ones as well. Even though I'm not like a baseball f- f- like a, a fan at all, but I really followed the artists and I actually purchased some other artists ones, but mostly the Ben Border color collection. And that's just because I really rated and really kind of uh, I loved, yeah, his spin on and some of these cards. And I still have that collection today. I haven't sold one at all. But yeah, it just really blew my mind when I saw these actually. Um, and obviously at the time you're thinking, oh yeah, of course, that's the smartest move I've done. But it was really, for me, it was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, and also for me, I think it was a learning experience I wanted to really get into the mindset of, being a collector again and actually what that meant and especially in sports and that was more of an exercise that I wanted to do whilst I was also helping the team at Dapper Labs to also test their, their new product which was in beta for a while back in June 2020. Yeah and I think it touches on the point as around why influential people are so important to culture as well just because it's like a lot of people learn around even like NFTs and crypto from people who are either have huge followings, they have massive communities and uh, or highly influential, right? And I think my in on that was really, yeah, Ben Baller at the time there. And it's the same for NBA Top Shot, right? A fascinating game, collectible kind of, um, kind of concept uh, that really got me obsessed, right, with the NBA. I, I actually ended up purchasing a, a, an NBA kind of um, uh, subscription, right? And just watching him religiously. It's really hard actually being following games in, in, in the UK and in, in US kind of time zones, but that was my in. I got really obsessed around these, these players, these teams. Like, I was really following Brooklyn Nets. I loved the players. Uh, like I said, I'm not like a diehard NBA fan, but I got obsessed about the sport and, that, and that I got really into it because of the game. And I think, I, I, and I wonder actually how many people usually, usually the opposite, right? Because you're, you're collecting these items because you're obsessed with the NBA or because you you understand the sport or you because you actually love these players. For me, it was like, I was collecting these items because I just found it interesting. I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm also supporting a, a team that I, I guess I really kind of like believed in. And then ultimately then it got popular. And then it was like, oh, actually this is like really relevant now. <laughs> and to this day, yeah, I, I'm still collecting them. I'm, I'm still building my collection. I think I'm the I'm top 250 kind of collectors in the world, which is interesting. Cause, and that's the thing that the interesting thing around, I guess, NFTs, which we didn't really touch on is the transparency and the tracking and the the, the the amount of data that's available, right, for anyone to access. And that's just not possible, right, with these physical collectibles. Like, if I was to sell my Tops 2020 collection, I think the d- default platform is eBay. With these kind of, um, these digital collectibles, it's more, I think the, the, the term that people will say is like, it's, it's composable, right? It's kind of like, you can use it in, across different platforms. 
yeah, you can build on top of the actual kind of um, uh, the game itself. I think that's just really interesting to, to see. You get way more data and information uh, and some people might not want it, but I think it's, as a collector, it's, it's really interesting. Dude, everything you just said is completely fascinating because it really brings together like what you're saying, how you become a fan when it comes to a sports perspective, how you become a quote unquote like fan of NFTs as a concept and how it's different than if you just bought, let's say Brooklyn Nets uh, basketball cards. This is, it's really cool how NBA Top Shot for you has really been like an entry point into not just like the NBA, but like kind of modern collectibles and how that also relates to NFTs. How do you see Top Shot evolving, one? And two, what are the NFT projects that you're most excited about these days? NBA Top Shot is starting to see this already, which I'm really excited for, is um, integrating the kind of online digital experience with the actual the sport itself, the on-court experience. You're seeing that in a few different ways. One is obviously attributing the value back to to the fans themselves. So using these moments and these challenges that they have actually on their platform to encourage people to be more engaged and involved and being able to reward them, right, with uh, VIP experiences at the games, being able to kind of have their own studios in their area where only NBA Top Shot guest collectors can, can access, right, or have the ability to potential to access being able to reward them with like, I guess, in-person events or meetups, right, with their favorite players. You can really start to see who the super fans are and actually really kind of, yeah, I just really try to um, serve them better, right, than you would have been able to before. And I think the interesting thing is just being more integrated with the sport itself. There's an interesting game coming out, actually. So the game is, is not launched yet. Um, and it's, uh, I can't remember the name of it actually right now, but it's being launched, it's being built by like a, a tier one kind of game studio. That's going to be really exciting because from my perspective, that would be probably one of the first worldwide, globally kind of like global kind of game that people will start to use NFTs without actually being able to use, think about what NFTs are. Because if you were to go on NBA Top Shot today, I think it's really hard to see, oh, the word actual NFTs or crypto actually on the platform, right? And I think that was the goal from the start was focus on the fans and what they care about and try to build experience around them. And I would say the same. The game is the same thing. And the idea is, I think, for the game, I don't have a lot of details actually on the game, but the idea is you, you can use these these kind of moments, right? These digital assets and collectibles that you've collected in the actual game itself. That's something that's super exciting. And, and I, I'd expect to see more of those kind of... Um... Yeah, sorry. So just to clarify on that, so I mean, of course, to, to the extent that you're able to share, uh, there's a, whatever people see as NBA Top Shot right now is just the first step of what will be coming next as like a more interactive game that makes those top shot moments not just collectibles maybe like slightly more interactive is that am i understanding that correctly yeah exactly and actually um, the, the game is actually called hard court and um the team has spoken about it i'm not sure on timelines when it's coming out but for sure exactly there's going to be more experiences and games and projects that are launching that actually creates more utility right and actually interesting ways to to use your yeah your your nfts I think that really touches on the point that, I, yeah, I think around why I care about NFTs or why I care about digital collectibles and what I look for. I think that was a question of yours was, I think it's also, a, it's around narrative. So for me, it's like, why does this exist? What does it represent? Um, I guess the second piece is like, what does it stand for? So what is its identity? Is it, is it kind of, um, I guess, a moment in time? Is it, is it history? Is it, is it kind of, uh, yeah, what's the meaning behind it? And I guess also the, the last thing is around utility. I think... Not when NFTs need to be need to have utility. So, for example, I think some are just limited supply. Some have interesting ca- characteristics. Some is just art. Um, but it's like some some like NBA Top Shot moments or IP collectibles or 
I guess um, in the future, obviously more kind of like artists, music artists um, will start to get involved is what does this actual asset provide, right? Um, I, I would start to see kind of membership NFTs and yeah, I think people's, you're starting to see that happening already, right? Even with NBA Top Shot. And I think for me is like, I guess, why do I collect certain NFTs and why not others? I think it's a mixture of those reasons. There are kind of artists that I discover actually through this space uh, from NFTs or from friends in groups that I'm involved in or things I see on Twitter. Yeah, and I think some of it's just backing kind of like amazing artists. So the two that come to mind is um, Ben Ben Morrow is one, which is um, hugely kind of like a a popular creative director who led games uh, such as Halo, Lord of the Rings, and films such as um, The Amazing Spider-Man and so forth. And and seeing those amazing artists come into doing, I guess, building these digital worlds and universes, it's like, for me, I'm just I'm just supporting them because I think the main thing actually with Ben Morrow, he, he actually designed, um, he was involved in Metal Gear Solid as well. So that's a whole full circle, right? As a young, a young kid, really kind of interested in gaming and, and one of my favorite games was obviously Metal Gear Solid coming full circle to be able to collect some of his first NFTs, which is this, uh, it's called Evolution. Yeah, it's just so much. Yeah, so what's the, what's the story about this? So Ben Morrow is releasing a set of NFTs. Yeah, so Ben Morrow was this, um, obviously a very established kind of artist um, and, and concept designer and, and director who worked on obviously lots of high profile games, right? So Call of Duty, Halo, uh, Metal Gear Solid, and films like Elysium, Chappie, Hobbit, uh, trilogy valerian like a lots of like household n- uh, names that you, you you'd recognize and he his venture into kind of nfts was he had this kind of like world of like um i guess a universe of like uh, different creatures that he'd, he'd build been building up for like over 10 years and uh, i guess nfts was the was the perfect kind of like format or kind of the way to kind of introduce it to the world um, and these were originally launched um, on a, um, a marketplace called Vive, so viv3.com. And this was actually on the Flow blockchain. And I think, again, a lot of this was like, there were different tiers of cards. So you have legendary, rare and common cards, a bit similar to kind of NBA Top Shot. And then, yeah, this is kind of the start of kind of that, that collection. What I'm so excited by is like, I think generally, even for NBA Top Shot or these kind of artists in the space, it's, it's super early. And I think right now it's very experimental. For me, it's like looking at what is what have these artists or these brands done for the last kind of like 30 or last 20 years? And it's looking at what are they, how are they thinking about the space in the next kind of 10 to 20 years? And I think it's just, that's what really excites me is like, as the technology evolves, as these kind of like, this infrastructure really kind of like gets, uh, gets built, I'm just really excited to see actually what is possible. Because I think what we're seeing today in terms of what, how people are thinking about and using NFTs it's very kind of like 0.5, right? Or 1.0, right? In terms of how we're thinking about it all. Um, but I think it, the actual kind of like how everything progresses is going to be quite um, fast. For me, I discover artists, but I also back artists that I've known already uh, who have come into kind of the NFT space. And yeah, I discover a lot of these people through yeah my groups, Twitter, and just from actually just, uh, yeah, also some marketplaces as well. My wish list actually is, is for like a cause NFT. Um, and if there's a Takeshi Makarami NFT, that would also be, yeah, great as well. I think that, so Daniel Arsham, um, he, he did a launch actually on, on Nifty Gateway. I think my, I guess the promising ones, which I love right now is, actually these are ones I've missed. And I think these are also ones that, that I know that are gonna do some great things in the space. There's obviously Beeple. Uh, I had the opportunity to buy one that I didn't. Damien Hurst, the same. Parallels are, are, are doing some interesting things as well. 
obviously CryptoPunks are the kind of the hugely popular right now. So I have my eye on like w- like one there, but it's just they're kind of insane right now. And then I guess Board Eight Yacht Club. I think that's also a really interesting one. I guess a, a shout out actually for one is is Drippies. So my friend uh, Florian, who works at um, an avatar company called Genies, uh, so Genies.com, who are also partners with Flow. He himself has his own kind of a uh, series. Uh, of NFTs, uh, which are very cool. I don't know what the website is, but it's called Drippies. And I think you'll be able to find, yeah, D-R-I-P-P-I-E-S. And you can find him on like Rarible or OpenSea. But I just find it fascinating because he has an interesting background. He's a massively kind of um, talented uh, animator, works on really kind of like a high profile kind of films such as Hotel Transylvania. But he has this really cool collection and universe of these kind of toys. And I'm just supporting them just because I, I love the craft and I love kind of what he's um, been really kind of uh, pushing out. And I think I just love this kind of this creativity that I've never seen before. The real reason why I like NFTs is I can continue to build a collection uh, and stay somewhat minimal because yeah. at one point, right, I was building up a collection of physical and still was like Takeshi Murakami puzzles, bare bricks, sneakers and all these things. And at one point it's just like conflicting with my kind of like uh, push to stay minimal, right? And really kind of like, I guess, streamlined. But yeah, I think NFTs allow me to have that kind of that happy medium where I can continue collecting, but not hoard loads of uh, items. Clearly, you're really, really aware of some of the cool things happening in the NFT space. I feel like you've mentioned so many topics and projects we could even just dive into for like, how would you recommend someone staying in touch with the NFT space? Or maybe the best way to do that is to like follow you. Like what's the best way to get in touch with you as well? Yeah, so just before we dive into that, it's uh, one last project actually, which I, I loved the year, which I've always been a fan of is Async Art. And Async Art is basically allows people to, it's, it's basically programmable art and music. So the idea is you can own a layer of a piece of art or music uh, of an artist, right? And then you can really, um, and that kind of whole piece evolves uh, together. So you can really can control what that particular layer does, right? So there's a kind of collective ownership yeah so that's that's really fascinating to me because I, especially for kind of music where you can own different layers obviously in the in the track and that can really kind of um yeah i just i just feel like that's an interesting angle with the technology yeah i think it's really early as well on that side in terms of staying in touch with everything i think there are some really great places to to yeah i, I think obviously new street i think your newsletter is, is, is amazing i know it's uh, also more broadly collectibles but i think the quality is very is up there there's the OpenSea NFT Bible, which is great. And I think if you, um, I have this kind of like a, this Wikipedia page of like all these resources. People can get hold of me on at Adrian K. Pang on Twitter. I'm pretty much on every single platform. And yeah, and I think for me, I'm just really excited to onboard as many people as possible um, into crypto. And I think that's why I resonated so well with Dapper Labs and also with MoonPay. And uh, yeah, watch out for series two on Open Worlds, which is all around NFTs, artists, and and yeah, just breaking down what the opportunity is and what this means for artists. I absolutely love it. I, I've seen from our conversation how things have kind of come full circle from you. I'm super excited for the future. I think there's uh, we're super early right now. There's lots of angles and ways you can get involved. I think you, you need to find your, kind of your, your own community. I think there's a lot of Discord groups going on. I think Google's and Twitter is actually going to be your best friends. And I think, yeah, if there's any other questions, just feel free to always uh, to reach out to me. Thanks so much for your time, man. And thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for listening to New Street X. You can learn more about Adrian in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com.